episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, Spence and Buzz sit down to talk watches with Zoe Abelson, or as you might know her from her Instagram handle, at watchgirloffduty. Welcome everybody to episode 65 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Uh, this one uh, is a big one for for Buzzy and I. Uh, Spangler is uh, MIA a little bit, but it's it's a bit early where we're at, and it's a bit early because we are checking off another continent from the boxes. Uh, our guest today is located in Hong Kong. We are, uh, you know, really excited that Zoe Abelson, Watch Girl Off Duty, was able to, to sit down with us this morning for us. This t- today, it's still the same day. It's in the evening for her. So, Zoe, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. Excellent. Yeah, we're since we're trying to get all the guests from all the different continents, that way I'll be able to turn into Mr. Worldwide himself. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, Antarctica is going to be the struggle. We may have to put a little asterisk there and have our guest be someone that has been to Antarctica instead of currently residing in Antarctica. Nevertheless, if anyone has, has any thoughts on that? <laughs> Send us send us some DMs. We need Buzzy to know. The plug. Buzzy getting the plug in already. I, I need to. <laughs> He's right. That one is going to be tough. But Zoe, thank you so much for being with us. Um, we are, you know, as, as as our listeners know, we always start off with a wrist check and a drink check. So Zoe, what is on wrist and what's in the glass? So my watch right now is a Patek Philippe Aquanaut from, I think it's either 1999 or 2000. It's a reference 5065A. So it's a older generation, 38 millimeter Aquanaut with a tritium dial. It's pretty cool if I say so myself. And then I am drinking, I know it's called watches and whiskey or whiskey and watches, but I am not a whiskey drinker. I'm a tequila drinker. So I went for a sister of tequila and I'm drinking Mezcal, which is a little bit smokier. I thought that was a little, so I can like be on trend with you guys and drink something (laughs) smoky. (laughs) No, that's great. No, that, that, uh, I've seen that Aquanaut on your, on your feed. That is a, that is an absolutely killer piece. And I think you're the first guest we've had that has wrist checked a Patek. I think so in 65 episodes. So another Lots first. Of first here I'm checking off. <laughs> right off the bat, um, which is pretty cool. So Buzzy, what have you got? All right. I I'm gonna start with the drink. I'm not just having a drink right now. I am drinking an idea. Let's get in the way back machine, everyone. Circa 2006, the website Jalopnik was like the best thing going regarding cars. They are utter tripe now. Don't bother visiting them. Don't give them give them the views. But one of the recurring themes on this website was that the commentators had a running joke that they drink breakfast scotch. Uh, so I'm going full on golden age Jalopnik today and drinking a Glenlivet 12. <laughs> Just getting right into the inherent degeneracy of drinking at breakfast. It's going to be uh, a fun Sunday for you guys, I think. Oh, yeah. I oh, think yeah. so. Absolutely. I, I also, one, one of the reasons why I picked this is I think that I've seen some tasting notes about how it pairs well with Raisin Bran. Not that Sandy about I, that. I don't know that that was in his uh, exactly. description of, of, G, of Glenlivet 12. <laughs> Pro, probably not. Probably not. I mean, the last time I drank at breakfast with any regularity, I was still going to toga parties. So I'm, I'm a bit <laughs> out of uh, practice here. All right. On my wrist. Enough of this silliness. On my wrist, I have my Tudor Oyster Prince. It's 34 millimeters of fun. Currently on a uh, Cincy Strap Co. leather strap. What color is the dial? It's a champagne. Oh, nice. Well, you can can see on my really crummy webcam. Looks great. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it was my first nice watch, and I... Really, really like it. Don't wear it a ton, but every time I do wear it, I enjoy it. I love and, that. And the the leather strap is actually uh, handmade by a fellow in New York State. So, little little uh, connection there. All right, Spence, what are you drinking? All what right, are you wearing. <clears throat> well, I'll start with a drink like Buzzy did. 
Um, you know, we, we joked that we have two of us on the, uh, the regulars on the podcast have kids. So, you know, being up at eight 30 to record, isn't really that big of a deal, uh, because the kids have been up for an hour. Um, but the nice thing is, is my wife made me a nice bloody Mary with the vodka that we had just here. I don't even really, it was either sky or new Amsterdam, just some bottle we pick up to mix stuff with. Um, and we use the Zing Zang mix and then she doctors it up a little bit with some more Worcester, Worcester sauce and other things. It's really good. And then she made me a nice little, uh, because I'm in, I'm drinking it out of a Mason jar. Like the garnishes don't really go in as well. So I've got like this little platter of like cheese, salami, celery, which celery sucks. Um, I need, just needed to get that off. But like, I, I'd usually say it more strongly, but like, it's only, it's only there to stir. Like celery is disgusting. It's good for you. It's also yeah, good for you. But there's also, in fairness, there's also other vegetables that I like that are good for me too, that aren't celery. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate you taking her side, Zoe there. Um, and I'm sure she would too, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm drinking. I got a little, little platter over here. Um, on the wrist, I'm actually double wristing because I got to give a shout out to a buddy of ours that we'll get to uh, later. The first thing I'll, I'll, I'll hype up is I have a modified um, pink Cassioke, one of the new kind of quote unquote ladies ones that came out um, recently. And by modded, uh, our buddy Langa on a NATO um, added some loom and some like metallic finishes to it. He goes, he goes, it's not my best work. He goes, but uh, if you guys want to quote unquote review it, that'd be great. So we'll, I think, you know, keep an eye on the podcast because there may be something happening with this watch at some point, but it's uh, it's just a little pink octagon octo guy and it's thinner. And it actually, like, I have the the standard size and this thing, they, they nailed it. Like, it, it seems just like the one I have, except it just wears better. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then on on my wrist, uh, my other wrist on the wrist side, I normally wear a watch and I've got on my Zenith uh, El Primero, the 38 millimeter that just got discontinued, um, which is interesting they kind of did that quietly which um I, you know it I, i'm curious as to what they replace it with because to me the the vintage proportions in this like it just it wears so incredibly well um i kind of took a, a leap of faith on this i talked about this last thursday um with bryant on uh, two talking time for the carolina watch club and it, you know i kind of took a leap of faith on this one when i was moving a piece out and like absolutely love it like it, it wears unbelievably i've got it on like Buzzy got it on a Cincy Strapco leather from Zach. And uh, it just, it it's probably one of my favorite watches to wear just because it, it fits so amazingly well. Very cool. And then what's the case size for the Cassioke? This one I think is 40, I want to say. Because I think the or it's either 40 or 42 because the other one's either 42 or 44. But like it wears yeah. really well. And the lug to lug is super me. short. So, yeah, I mean. You, I, I love I've, them. Yeah, they just they just don't fit right. No, I I've tried. I've tried. My boyfriend has like the green khaki one, yep. and I just always go to grab it, and it just never worked out. So I didn't even know that they made like a quote unquote ladies one. So that's exciting. I it, hope it, there's like a rainbow version of it, so I could <laughs> feel like I'm wearing a rainbow Daytona. So yeah. I think isn't there? There's a guy who mods them and puts like. And I don't know if he's done it because the ladies one literally came out within the last like week or two. So this is legitimately oh. like this just dropped. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're talking about a $90 Casio now, but like it, it just dropped. maybe it's like a hundred bucks. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what they run. Um, but there's a guy who for I mean, it, it takes your hundred dollar watch and ups it to like 400 bucks. But he will do like a rainbow dial treatment and change all of the hour markers out and just. It looks really cool. I don't know if I'd spend four hundred bucks on a on a G Shock that's been modded, but it looks cool. So I was just giggling at the fact that like people are modifying hundred dollar watches. I mean, yeah. I mean, but the nice thing why is, why not? Is, like, I guess why not? I would rather do that than modify a, uh, a four or five thousand dollar watch, and I've seen some of that done too. Me too. So like, I'd rather like if you're gonna modify something or mess with it, like. Why not a Casio? <laughs> like so, but anyway. All right. So now that we got all of that out of the way, um, we need to get we need to get to to learn a little bit more about you, Zoe. So um, I, I know that you've kind of been 
you 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 work for Watchbox over in Hong Kong. You started here. Um, what I, I guess what I'll ask first is what came first, getting into the industry or getting into watches? Getting into industry was definitely first. It kind of fell into my lap. It was a very happy accident, I call it, because I didn't even know the watch industry was a thing. To me, watches were accessories. They were gifts. They were not much more than that. I had no idea there was a whole industry behind it. And um, through a family friend of mine, I just needed like a temp job or a summer internship while I was in between college semesters. And my uh, close family friend of mine worked for Antiquorum in New York in, um, what was it? I, 2011, uh, yeah, 2011. They just needed someone to answer the phones, like do admin during one of the auctions. And so I did that. I was just answering the phones. I actually have a really funny memory of that where someone an- someone called the phone during the auction and I picked up and I thought it was just going to be, you know, someone's asking to take a message, but some guy asked me to value his longe over the phone. And I, not only did I not know what that even was, but (laughs) I tried to take the message down and completely butchered it, asked him to spell it like 10 times. And I'll just never forget, like, that's when I realized like, whoa, there's a lot that I don't know about this industry. And I wanted to learn more. So um, I asked them if I could be a summer intern and they hired me full time after that. And it's now been like 11 years that I've been in the industry. So it started as a temp job. Yeah. So do you offer any um, valuations over the phone now? That yeah, of course. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I evolved quite a lot over those 11 years, and I do know how to spell longe. I still can't pronounce it, but I could spell it. <laughs> well. Yeah, the, the ubiquity of being able to do FaceTime probably helps doing the, the valuations on the phone so you can at least look for scratches. Honestly, instead of, yeah. everything is just over WhatsApp or even on Instagram. People just send photos and you can value it fairly quickly. Um, one of my favorite things is being able to, like when I get sent fake watch pictures, that's one of my favorite things ever. You nice. you do a pretty good job of put, putting those up in your stories, and I those are some of my favorite ones. Um, you do that, and I, I know some, I, some other accounts do it too. But I think yours are the ones that I, I'm always. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm stumped. So the fact that you know whether or not it's real or fake is pretty impressive, because uh, there's some good fakes. I have. <laughs> there's really good fakes, and I do have an unfair advantage because when I see them, I'm also talking to the person. So there are so many like key. Um, characteristics of just immediately understanding that it's a fake watch. For example, like usually they'll say they don't have the box and papers. So like that's check. Then you'll say like, oh, where did you buy it? And they're like, my uncle gave it to me. Or <laughs> like I found it in a hotel or just something that you're just like, all right, obviously it's a fake watch or uh, there's just so many like little things that as soon as you ask the question and they come back with this answer that you get a million times, you just know it's fake. So I have an unfair advantage and then I put the pictures up and then I kind of try to trick people. But <laughs> it's found fun. It, found it in the hotel. Oh, so that was one. Oh, there, was, there was a really, really good one, actually. Um, he was a janitor at a hotel somewhere in middle America and the photos of the watch that he sent to me were of a fake um 5102p like a sky moon tourbillon and I was just like that is amazing (laughs) like who faked that and also like who was wearing that in middle America in some motel like it just was great great story there's so many questions I have for that person now, but we we, we, will, we will go ahead and move on. That is an unbelievable story. Um, so when you so when if only know, it was I, real, that would I know right? That would that would have made it even okay. That would that would be more unbelievable. That um, would be great. That would have been pretty cool. I, I don't know if that would be great or not because I, I think that the kind of person that would uh, wear a, a real version of that watch 
just hanging out uh, and lose it. Well, it, yeah, I think it might set up some sort of like no country for old men scenario. So like some Javier Bardem type, like I was thinking hunting, hookers. Hunting the janitor down. <laughs> hookers. Like, like the guy wearing it was clearly in a motel with hookers, probably. That's where my mind went. I was yeah. hoping it was real. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you make the jump, you, you, you know, you intern full time. At what point do you decide that you are kind of not into the industry, but like, all right, I want to start adding pieces that I want. Like how, how, how do you make that leap from kind of working into it to then becoming sort of a pseudo collector as it were? Um, it took a long time and that was really just because I couldn't afford watches. I appreciated them and I had like a whole list of the ones that I was like, one day, if I can afford this watch, I want this in my collection. And it really took until I moved to Hong Kong and I guess like I could actually afford the watches that I wanted um, for me to really grow my collection to like shape it and curate it the way that I want. Um that being said, I think everyone can understand this. Like your collection's never done. So there's so many more watches that I want to add. And I look back at some of the pieces that I used to want when I first got into the industry and like wouldn't bother buying them. So my taste and understanding of watches and what um, I appreciate about them has has evolved quite a bit. That's interesting to hear. So what what was attracting you to certain pieces prior now I guess what do you look for um you know I mean I I know obviously there's there's probably pieces in your head that you're like oh this is just absolutely fantastic like said Rainbow Daytona which is unbelievable (laughs) but you know kind of lend it let us get into your head a little bit on like okay the next like kind of how you go about thinking about what you want as the next piece and how that's changed so when I first got into the industry what I really wanted I guess because I was just learning about everything what really took to me was um, just iconic watches. So I wanted a day date. I wanted a reverso. I wanted a Submariner. I wanted all of the watches that when you first get into the industry, like these are the ones that you know because of the history of them and just, I guess, popularity as well. Um, So I just kind of wanted like one quintessential watch from the main brands. And then... um, yeah, I guess my taste changed a little bit just when my knowledge of the industry grew and what else brands have to offer besides those super well-known pieces. And what makes these other watches special was intriguing because they were a little bit different. The um, you, you do have a, uh, a Reverso though, right? I was actually gifted the Reverso from a boss of mine um, from when I worked at Auctionata, which was an online auction house um, based in Berlin. And I'd worked for the company for about a year. And my boss heard me talk about reversos a million times probably. And so the first time that I went to Berlin to visit the headquarters there, he actually gifted me a reverso. So um, that was really cool. But it was like, as soon, this sounds so bratty but as soon as I got the reverso I was like okay what's next like I wasn't I didn't have that honeymoon phase that I was excited about and maybe because it was a gift and it wasn't like something that I picked out it was a reverso but I'm not so sure it would have been the exact one that I wanted but as soon as I got it I was like all right now I need a day date Vichade, too bad I still love it I do I don't wear it as much as I used to, but I still love the Reverso so much. And I, I always recommend it for like within that price range If someone's looking for a super classic, easy to wear um, watch. I, I still love the Reverso quite a bit. They, they are just exceedingly cool. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, uh, there's something about rectangular watches because they're not, the norm but um the the reverses neat party trick of being able to reverse <laughs> and uh yeah the cartier tank i just those are such great great choices that was also another icon that i when i was 
maybe one to two years into the industry that I always wanted a um, Cartier Tank Louis. Super, super simple. I feel like, I think Princess Diana had one and I remember seeing one in a picture. I was like, I need that watch. I I think that the the new uh, Mousse de Cartiers are- They're going to be a hit. Sold a lot. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I I could see me buying the, the white uh, solar one. I think it's slick. <laughs> really do. I would go navy or maroon, I think. Or well, that was going to be my next question, but that answered it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interestingly, navy and maroon were my junior highs, highs or junior highs colors, like our like our school colors. My junior high, which Buzzy, don't you have the the Doxa? There's a C the C Rambler version. That's is that high school or is that junior? I think it was high school. High right? school, yeah, yeah. Okay, high school the, mascot, yeah. yeah. The Cathedral Prep Ramblers, uh, funny <laughs> enough, are uh, uh, black and orange, and uh, the C Rambler. Uh, I was black and orange also. It's the worst oh, really? color is to have like on a uniform. I hated it, but I I was uh, the White Plains Tigers. There we go. Well, that, I mean, that's that's the whole Princeton thing, right? Because of the black and orange of Princeton, Princeton Tigers. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the connection there. Um, yeah, it was an all guys school, so we didn't give a care about the, the colors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, so you mentioned that you know you, people you you're recommending watches to people. Why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your your I would say your current role and kind of how you ended up in Hong Kong and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit how markets are different, but you know, how did you end up in Hong Kong making recommendations of watches to people who were curious about things? I, so while I was at Auctionata, I actually came into contact and started working with um, a company called Watch You Want. And um, one of the leading ladies there, Shannon Beck met me and um, it was kind of like love at first sight. We just vibed so well. And after that meeting at Auctionata, she went to Govberg Jewelers, who they basically Govberg Jewelers then acquired Watch You Want. They were working together and and went to Danny Govberg and was like, there's this girl. She works for Auctionata. She's a hustler. Um, she has so much potential and we need to have her. And so it wasn't then that I moved over to, to Govberg Jewelers. Actually, um, at the point that I met Shannon, I was also speaking with Crowning Caliber to help with a new role um, to build a dealer program for them to get more inventory and really good inventory on their site. Mm. So I moved over from Auctionata to Crowning Caliber. And I think I was the director of partnerships. Yeah, that was my title. And um, so I introduced a lot of dealers within the U.S. to Crown and Caliber to start listing their inventory on the site. And then um, after I think it was around eight or nine months, I went back to Goldberg Jewelers and they were still very much uh, interested in hiring me, but didn't really have a role for me. They just kind of wanted me on the team and was talking to them for a while they convinced me to move to Philadelphia, which was a very, very um, long process because I really didn't want to give up moving from New York. So at that point, I moved to Philadelphia and I was kind of toying with the um, project to get their watches on other auctions and again, didn't really have a specified role there, but it very quickly evolved to me being in a a client advisor sales role. So I started working there in their Philadelphia office for about a year. And after that, six months in, I think they started to look into opening an office in Hong Kong. And one of my colleagues, Josh, went out there to, to do that, to open the office. And then he contacted me asking if I'd be interested in helping them out there to grow the business in Asia. And that's how I'm here. That's how I'm now in Hong Kong. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty, pretty yeah. kind of, that's a, that all took place in the course of like two years from, from the, 
the Berlin auction site to Crown yeah. and Caliber back to go. And it's I was really all, busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, these are all the funny thing is too is like these are all names that all of us watch nerds know. Right. <laughs> like you're like holy cow. Um, yeah, I um I I have a lot of very like niche, very very niche um experience with the industry where it's like if I were ever to leave the watch industry these skills would be worthless. So <laughs> I'm sticking with <laughs> the watch industry. <laughs> I mean, I, so that, that, that's, that leads to a follow-up question. Um, how, how much is what you do um, knowledge of the product and how much of it is knowledge of just how to sell things to, to people? That's a good question. Um, at the point when I first started, I really didn't know about specifics with watches. And you would get kind of both types of um, of either consumers or collectors. And the collectors obviously know their shit and they're going to question you and they want your opinion. And so for that, you really do need to know what you're talking about. You need to know the product. However, it's obviously so difficult to know everything about everything. So what you tend to um, get into is just you learn what you love. And those are the watches kind of that you can sell better. But you also have to be a people person, I think, first and foremost. And that's where the salesy um, experience is important. You just need to know how to talk to clients. You need to understand what they're looking for from you. And you just need to vibe with them. So a lot of these relationships that I've formed with my clients are like very, very personal. And that's fun for me. That's super cool. What... Are there more, because th this is a, a debate that we always have um, in our group chats, uh, realizing that the sort of people that have group chats with other watch enthusiasts, that listen to watch podcasts, that record watch podcasts, like we're probably the distinct minority here. That There's probably a lot more quote unquote consumers uh, than there are collectors or, you know, watch idiot savants, whatever you want to call us. Um, is that your experience or what, what, what's the kind of mix there? I think the mix has changed quite a bit and I think it's heavily due to COVID and people being bored and wanting to learn about watches or, you know, gain, um, access into the community and join, you know, WhatsApp groups and talk to people about watches. It's just gone from a very, very niche industry and hobby into this more mainstream, um, like, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's just, it's more mainstream. So a lot more people, even if they don't know about watches, they want watches either for investment purposes, or like I said, to like join the community and be a part of something. Um, so it's just grown massively, but yes, I would say in, for the people that I work with, I think they already kind of know what they want. Um, they've done their research and we have the inventory or we don't. And they come to us and say, like, you know, what's the price? And at that point, yeah. you, the watch is already sold. But so that's the easy <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's changed quite a bit where you used to probably have to educate the the buyer a lot more. But now with everything so visible on social media and so many different local community watch collecting communities and just everything that's online people kind of already know about the watch that they want to buy that's interesting yeah, I, mean, I, I can see that i mean I, I know buzzy you're the same way but like other than i think a select few pieces that i've picked up kind of almost as impulses you do a lot of research on what you're you know looking at next you know market valuing if it's a vintage piece things like that and it's just like like you said zoe when, when someone comes in and is, is starting to talk price already like oh well this watch is gone like <laughs> like they're already they're already you know, if, if we're if we're already only talking about price then they, they already know what they want exactly um, which is interesting it happens um, a lot too so to answer mm -hmm. your question it's just i think that so many people already come to us knowing what they want and 
then once you start to form a relationship, they're like, okay, what's next? And then they come to you saying, what would you recommend? But I just think usually for someone's first watch, they kind of already know what they're looking for. Well, my guess would be that you have clients where if you know you have a piece coming into inventory that would fit in their collection or something that they've maybe not necessarily said that they're looking for, but you think, uh, I bet I bet Joe would like this piece. Exactly. My guess is you 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 have the like you're describing these relationships that you say, Hey, I've got this coming in. Do you want to see it? Are you interested? And my guess is you have some folks who are very happy to take your calls. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, they hate me for it because then they spend more money, but um, I but definitely- do they really hate you for it? <laughs> no, of course not. Um, their, their wives do probably. I get a lot of like clients tell me that my name is something different in their phones because if they say it's like Zoe Watchbox, the wife's like, oh, fuck. Like she's texting you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Yeah, I I think uh, a lot of it is a lot of it is um, me like seeing that we're coming across a certain watch. I'm like, oh, this would be so great for him or he'd love it. This is perfect. I saw a lot of watches that way. And I think clients do appreciate that. I have one really good story actually, where um, a like very, I would say well-seasoned collector. He has a lot of Patek Philippe a lot of high complication pieces. He got into the brand like fairly early and used to get, you know, Nautiluses when they were being discounted, you know, in like oh, 2010. Yeah. Um, and used to like get these Nautiluses for his friends because he wanted the high complication pieces. Now oh. fast forward to, you know, the Nautilus craze and he can't even get one from his AD. So he had told me that he had sold a 5711 a long time ago and he was like looking to get another one, but the price was so crazy. And uh, I reached out to him and I was like, look, I think it's going to be, there's rumors, everyone kind of knows there's rumors, it's going to be discontinued. If there's ever a time to buy it, just trust me, mm-hmm. you need to buy it now. And he ended up taking like two weeks to decide to buy it. And the day that he came in, um and bought it i think he bought it for 70,000 US at that point oh, geez, and the yeah. next day it was officially discontinued on the uh Patek Philippe website so he will ever be ingrained in my mind as the guy who like i i just i love that story because i really pushed him he was like waiting and waiting and waiting to get it hoping the price would go down and I finally pushed him and he listened. And literally within 24 hours, his watch went from 70 grand to 100. That's, un- I mean, we all saw those prices go up when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we were all expecting that to happen. But that guy's time, I mean, I don't want to say it could have been better, but like it could have been a lot worse for him too had he waited another 12, 24 hours. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, yeah I talk really about, pushed him. About, yeah. <laughs> listen to Zoe and he'll say that. He's like, I will always listen to you now. <laughs> that Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh man. Holy cow. Yeah, that, that is that is absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was like a fun, a fun thing. That that's so that's so cool, and I, I think that's that's a very interesting point. How how you're saying that uh, watch collecting is maybe more mainstreamed, or or people are a little bit more uh, educated as to to what they want. I mean, when when there's articles coming out uh, in New York Times, you know about watch collections watch collectors during covid our, our friend debbie uh, at case and crown was uh, was featured in one um yeah you're you're right there there's something there's something to that how it, it's very recent but but the more the, people are interested yeah the landscape mm-hmm. has changed yeah. significantly has yeah I mean, I've only been in the hobby for probably four years and I, I, we still even joke like the whole idea of the fact that when I was looking to buy my first piece to commemorate our oldest's birth, 
I tried on a Submariner that was just sitting in the case, <laughs> just yeah. a, a black stainless. And and as much as that is that is not a, a Nautilus by any means, but it that is very much a a hyped watch right now. And the fact that it was just out in the case sitting there for me to try on as a new customer was kind of unbelievable. And it wasn't like he went to the back and got it. Like this was literally just, it was in the case. There was a date and a note eight sub sitting next to each other, which. But that's something that is so frustrating to me because I've seen that happen to so many different models that why is a watch that's mass produced? It's stainless steel. It, it's time only, you know, it's nothing unique and special or rare. It's certainly not rare, but it's gotten to the point where the demand and supply is there's such a huge gap that you can't get that watch. If you want it, you have to know someone, you have to have a prior purchase history and really pull strings for a very simple watch. It's insane and and frustrating. It's hard to, it's hard when someone who doesn't know the industry come to me and say, I'm looking for a Submariner and I give them the price and they're like, wait, that's above retail. And it just doesn't make sense. And I have to explain why I was like, yes, but it's very popular. Everyone wants it. ADs don't just give them out. If you go to an AD, you're, they're not going to have one. And it's a very, like, it's a very difficult conversation to have because from someone who doesn't understand the hype, like it just seems stupid and that we're trying to rip them off. But. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. It's just the industry. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing, and we've we've talked about this with some of the other some other guests that we've had, and it just I don't know. Um, I mean, you you heard the guys from like at least those of us who listen to the podcast. I, I went and listened to a couple snippets of the Hodinkee Radio podcast for all the watches and wonders stuff, and you have you know Ben Clymer and Jack Forrester like like just ripping the state of affairs with, he goes, you know, immediately Ben's like, you know, immediately I got several people asking, Hey, could you help me get a 5711 1A? And he's like, no, I can't. <laughs> he goes, and if I could, I'd probably just get one for myself. And that would exactly. help somebody get one. And that person would be me and I don't have it. So that should right. tell you something. It's just, it's the whole idea of, and I can remember when the new subs came out back in September um, and, and created all that big uh, hubbub. The, the interesting thing there was um, I think Hodinkee was one of the one of the only media outlets that kind of got to spend some time with it. And they got an hour with the two new models. And that was it. Or at least that's how they described it on Hodinkee Radio. That's what Steven said. He's like, we we got to spend an hour with the new subs. And I was like, if, if a player as big as Hodinkee has gotten in the watch media landscape gets an hour with the yeah. new Submariner, Rolex doesn't care. <laughs> Right. They don't no. they don't give a shit. <laughs> no, anything that uh, they come out with is going to sell. Oh yeah. I mean it just, it is. Now it is. Although the funny I think that the most interesting comment that, that I've that I've kind of heard from other folks is that, you know, what is the OPs came out and they were in a ton of fun colors. And I think did one of those find its way into your collection? I actually have more than one, but um, ooh, okay. Well, we'll get there in I a have, second. But uh, yeah, which colors did you go for? Now I have to ask. Okay, so it really was what was available, but I was very okay. lucky. Do you want to hear the story? It's pretty wild. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course. Well, essentially, what we were. I'll make my point real quick, and then, of course, I want to hear your story. But the point is. If the entry level Rolex OPs are something that are, are becoming hard to come by, what's Trading an entry level double. Rolex? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the answer is it's an Omega, it's a Grand Seiko, it's a Breitling, it's a Tudor, it's whatever else the dealer has in the case so you can create a purchase history. Right. That's an entry level Rolex. Exactly. It doesn't say Rolex anymore. So, all right, let's tell, let's hear about these, the, the story of these two OPs. Or all right, so maybe I'm it's fairly, maybe it's not even two. <laughs> I'm fairly convinced that Hong Kong typically gets um, allocation for all of the new pieces first because they have all of these very long-standing relationships with ADs here, and um, I was really surprised by it. I mean, I think as a, a watch lover and also being in the industry, as soon as those OPs came out, I was super excited about them because it was something so different for Rolex. I mean, even though they're the literally the simplest watch they make, they did something that was different and exciting um, and bold, which they usually don't do that when they change watches. 
So, and I've always been a lover of the Stella Dial day dates. I'm obsessed with them. So I was very excited. Um, someone on Instagram uh, posted like a story of looking at the OPs and I mess and they were in Hong Kong and I messaged them immediately. I'm like, which AD has these watches? I just want to go see them. And, um, he told me which one, and it happened to be an AD that I pass on my way to work every day. So I texted my colleague, Josh, who also lives fairly close. I'm like, let's go see them. I wonder if they still have them. Let's like walk to work together and just walk in literally never thinking that they would have them anymore or that they would sell it to us. Um, (laughs) but at that point, ADs, especially in Hong Kong, because for them, it's like very transactional. These aren't like watch people at this particular AD. They're just salesmen. Um, And so they had in a case, the 31 millimeter uh, Tiffany dial, 31 millimeter pink dial and a 36 millimeter coral or the red. And um, I... (laughs) kind of went crazy. And I really wanted the Tiffany blue because I always wanted the Tiffany blue Stella. And so I wanted the Tiffany blue in 36 millimeters, but they didn't have that. And so I tried on the 31 millimeter and I almost didn't get it. I just like, didn't like the size of it. I typically wear 36 to 40 millimeter watches and I just didn't look right on my wrist, but it was just because I wasn't used to it. And I was just talking to Josh. I was like, should I get this? And he was like, yeah, it's it's nice. You should just get it. Um, so I was like, all right, I should just get... I asked him if he wanted to split the coral dial with me. I was like, I'll get the Tiffany for me, but do you want to split the coral dial? And he like didn't really love it either. So we were kind of like half serious about it. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy both of them. So I left the pink. I took the Tiffany blue um, 31 millimeter and took the coral and uh, the woman who was helping us was kind of kind of in shock. She's like, "Really, you're taking these?" And <laughs> so yeah, I I got those watches like on day one after the news of the release because they were still available, and it was just pure luck. Then I have another relationship with a different AD in Hong Kong. And I always, I I had had no purchase history with her either, but I just always messaged her asking her what she was getting in. And she was like, oh, I have a yellow dial 31 millimeter. And this was like a day after I got these other two watches. And so I was like, I'll take it. And just (laughs) went a little crazy that week. But so I have a few. Um, And I was also (laughs) offered the green 31 millimeter as well. Wow. You're trying to fill the box, it seems like. (laughs) I love them. And I think at the price point, honestly, they're such great watches. I wear the Tiffany Blue 31 millimeter more than any watch that's worth more than that. I just think that, not that it's a beater watch because it's a very nice watch, but it's just such an easy to wear piece where my other pieces are usually older and a little bit I, I'm more sensitive when I wear those watches oh completely. so this one I, I really get to enjoy oh yeah and I mean there's the concept of beater watches as in you know you wear it when you know that you're like I did some landscaping work yesterday and I <laughs> right. actually had I had my alpinist on my Seiko and I actually like took it off because I was doing mulch and I was just getting like black arms. It's like, okay, I just, I don't, it was really because I didn't want to have to like wash the strap. Like I have it on a, a NATO strap and I didn't want to have to take it off the strap and wash it. But it wasn't that I was really worried about damaging the watch like significantly in any way. But I mean, I think that's the thing with those OPs is they're built to like, yeah. let's be real. Most of us are working in, in very, very white collar positions. Like, you know, I'm outside landscaping at my house because I choose to like, Anything that I'm going to throw at a watch that I have on a daily basis, other than maybe being dumb enough to operate a chronograph underwater because I'm in the pool, like 
my watches can can take it. And I think the OP is a perfect example of that. Like for anything that that you're, I mean, I don't know. We haven't get into any of the, any of your other hobbies outside of work, Zoe. But my guess would be anything that you're probably doing on a fairly regular basis. That OP is going to be like, yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> yes, for sure. But also the other thing is like I kind of laugh at the idea of a beater watch, and people come to me asking for one all the time. For me, if I'm going on a hike. Like I'll bring my watch for an Instagram photo, but I am not wearing it. I do not like the idea of a beater watch because I cannot, the thought of scratching my watch or hurting it anyway is too painful. I just, I don't know. And I just think the concept of a beater watch is silly. Just don't wear a watch if you think you're going to fuck it up. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, I guess that's what that G-Shock's for, right? Right. Like a G-Shock exactly. for 90 bucks and, and th- those, I, I think in the old ads, you used, they used to run one over with a car, like. Okay, oh that God. that should hold up to any hike I'm going on for sure, um, with the the three year old in the in the in the backpack that I'm carrying. <laughs> so, not not doing anything anything hard with those. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm I'm just impressed that uh, you know you were able to to buy those two ops. Uh, just. No questions asked. I didn't know whether because you you work work for Watchbox. I didn't know whether that was like a West Side Story, Jets versus Sharks sort of thing, right? Whether there's oh, they have no idea. I think I wouldn't get those watches if they knew that I worked for Watchbox. Okay, there you go. Yeah, otherwise there would be like some like ominous like finger snapping and walking toward each other. Yeah, they would think I would flip it. Yeah, exactly. So it works. It actually doesn't work in my favor when I say I'm in the watch business. So I kind of go into ads or watch boutiques pretending not to know my shit, but I'll like say something and trigger questions. They're like, "Oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about." And then <laughs> um, sometimes I have to bring watches for clients to like AP, for example. And I used to go in and like bring like a Royal Oak Turbion to get serviced. And they're like, oh, is this your watch? I'm like, no, it's my boyfriend's and give them my name and everything. And it happened a few times afterwards that one of the guys there, he was like, you're watch girl off duty, aren't you? And I was like, damn it. (laughs) I've been outed. (laughs) Damn, they know who I am. Um, And it's happened actually a couple other times where I've been walking down Queens Road Central as a main street where all the boutiques are and two people. I was wearing my... Tiffany Dial um, OP and two people when I was stopped on the street, like came up to me and they're like, oh, you're Zoe. I've seen your Instagram. And they recognized me because of the Tiffany Dial OP. So that was cool. So, and I think that getting recognized, that's, that's going to be an even bigger, uh, bigger problem for you when your new uh, mixtape drops. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've heard about this. <laughs> It's uh, it's what crop tops and calatravas. Yes, I think it's <laughs> gonna be a hit. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that sounds like straight fire. I, I've uh, I've been working on my own. Uh, so why don't we album. just collaborate? Well, you wouldn't want to see me in the crop top for one, but uh, all right, we'll think of we'll think of something else for you. My uh, I mean the the album I've been working on is uh, get resharp melees or die trying. Love you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> Or oh, like man. you said, like shorts and JLC or something like that. Jorts and JLC. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's pretty so good. good. Oh man. Oh, that's so good. Oh man. Um, I'm down. I love it. So I, I before we transition into, I mean, I know you mentioned a road, and we got to cover some of the funnier street names in Hong Kong at some point, but because um, I know you've mentioned that there are quite a few that are a little bit funny from a transla- translation perspective, but. I guess the one thing that I'm kind of most curious about, we, we touched on this a little bit when it came to some of your clients, but like you've worked in the industry in the US for a time before moving over to Hong Kong. I, I guess how are tastes different over there versus in the US? And then, you know, just kind of how, how what's your approach to clients different? I mean, is, is the whole clientele different than, or is it like the same type yeah. of people? different things totally different um and i think also because i was i was new when i started working for Goldberg jewelers that i was um working with more of the consumers than like the super super high-end collectors because i just didn't have the experience to do so back then and then when i got to hong kong um i definitely 
got more hands-on experience and was able to handle some of the more well-seasoned and knowledgeable collectors. So the people that I work with here are, are very into the game, very knowledgeable. And I would say like average sale price here versus what I was doing in the U.S. is very different. I think in the U.S. I was dealing with maybe an average of five to 10,000 U.S. dollar sales. Here, I think it's closer to anywhere, I think around 50,000 as an oh, average. Wow. So, um, and that's really because of the the types of pieces that we get into the Hong Kong office. Very, very rare, very high end, very sought after. And um, I, I would be lying if I didn't equate that to like the there's money here. There's a lot of money in Asia and people can't afford these nice timepieces. So it's just kind of a different ball game. And I remember when I first moved here, also one of the first things that I noticed is there was a lot of women wearing very expensive watches, not just like a two-tone day just that kind of every woman in in the u.s wears mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so yeah, <fair>. people <laughs> instead of like two-tone day just people were wearing all rose gold daytonas you know uh really beautiful complicated perpetual calendar paddocks um there's a woman here that i know who wears like a fp jordan centigraph and this was years ago and she's think probably my age and like super cool and she loves watches and she gets very, very interesting, rare pieces. And I just came to realize that uh, a lot of women are, are very into the watch game in, in Asia. That's that is, cool. that is really cool. Like, I mean, seeing people rock a centigraph just, I, I, that is actually, that's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it, that's so different than what you kind of see over here, like you said. And it's, I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that'll maybe that be a trend that kind of comes comes this direction. Um, because I, I think there are potentially, I think there's, not potentially, I think there's more women in the hobby or more women who are interested than I think, than we know. But I mean, in fairness, I, yeah, I participate in our, our Red Bar group chat. Like, it'd probably take a special kind of kind of woman to want to be involved with us knuckleheads. <laughs> like, um, but at the same point, I mean, that just, that, that is a, that is a completely different type of market. I mean, when we, when we think rare over here, I, I don't know that, I'm, I mean, I, I know some of our, our friends who are higher end collectors mention those things that, that you, you just did. But um, yeah, I mean, I just, all the stuff that I see come across your Instagram feed when it's stuff that you guys have kind of gotten in, it's just like, Holy cow! I'm not gonna ever see one of those ever, right. um, which is pretty cool. We're very, very lucky. Yeah, we get to see some really rare stuff, and one of my favorite things that has ever crossed my path, which kind of connects back to like, I saw this watch and I knew exactly who needed to own it. Um, was a jade dial FP Journe tourbillon on a platinum bracelet. Whoa. So I think they made like less than, I think, uh, well, definitely less than 10 jade dial tourbillons. I think maybe even less than five, but on a, on a platinum bracelet, which is very rare for Jordan and very expensive, um, extremely rare. And the client that I knew it would be perfect for, I, I sent him a picture of it and he's like, I'll be there tomorrow. So it, I mean, he knew, he knew how special it was and even better, the watch that he traded it, traded in towards it was a black label, um, black label tourbillon that he won in a poker match. So he basically got like a free watch, which was a black label <laughs> tourbillon and traded that towards a jade dial tourbillon. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I'm dealing with here. It's very fun. That is, un- I mean, I now I I, I want to know the story behind that that Turbion that he traded in that how how we won that in a poker match. <laughs> it was very high stakes, apparently. I clearly, I mean, I'm now I'm picturing the opening one of the opening scenes of Casino Royale when right. uh, the one guy throws in his Aston Martin is like, "This is on right. the table. That's my car." I, that is just unbelievable. Well, even oh, better, not. <laughs> 
when at the point this was probably so this was two years ago that I sold him the Jade Dial Turbion and he won that black label Turbion probably five years prior. So he got that watch before the Jorn craze, before people knew what it was. Um, and I think the original owner he was playing poker with just was like, I'll give you this because he just didn't want to pay money. He's like, I'll just give you my watch. And, you know, <laughs> fast forward to 2021 20, and that watch is worth like 300 times that, you know, it's Jeez. insane. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so what what are some of the... Uh... The, the popular brands that you, you you deal with a lot? I think it's the usual sus- suspects. Um, FP Jorn has become a lot of people's focus here. Um, definitely Rolex is the number one. I would say that's the most popular. And Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet, people are definitely starting to focus a lot more on Longay now because they're starting to see the value in it, in the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as independents like Moser, uh, Daniel Roth. A lot of people are starting to focus. I'm sure you see it on Instagram. It's no news uh, to anyone that would be listening that, you know, like there's a whole new trend of neo-vintage lovers where it's like this late 90s, early 2000s genre of, of watches that are a little bit funky, a little bit different, still have a lot of characters of these independent watchmakers before they kind of sold um, to bigger brands. And um, a lot of people want these like a little bit funkier type of pieces than um, what these brands are putting out today. So that's fun because when you get them in, they're usually from the original owner who bought it in the late nineties and two thousands before watch watches and like, there was no money in the game. You usually bought a watch and if you sold it, you probably lost money where it's a completely mm-hmm. different culture now. Um, so these people who bought these watches, you know, 20 something years ago come in and they're making money on these watches. They're like, what is going on? It's shocking. I mean, I can remember a, a- probably two years ago, I was listening to an episode of Hodinkee Radio and it was somebody who said that their dad or they had a friend whose dad was a Rolex dealer. And when they were kids, they were just like, they had used watches with, they were that, they were used watches, not vintage or neo vintage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a cheap way to get a Rolex at the time was to go buy someone's used one. Um, Exactly. And it's it's funny, the neo vintage concept, to me, it's almost like those are like the classic rock of watches. It's like, Mm-hmm. And I only say that because I'm starting to think back. It's like I can remember as a kid growing up in the early to mid 90s uh, or late 90s. I mean, the, my first inkling of remembering somebody describe a radio station as classic rock was probably when I was in like fourth or fifth grade and had a concept of it. And, you know, that was 1997. You know, the, the, the stuff they were playing was 20 years, 20 years old. That was from the 70s or the 30 years old from the 60s. I mean, we're, we're at the point where early to mid 90s is becoming the classic <laughs> <Vintage>. rock. <laughs> exactly. It's it's becoming vintage. So like you're talking about neo vintage, you're like, wow, 2005 wasn't that or 2002 wasn't that long ago because I can remember distinctly what I was doing then. But you're like, dang, that's 19 years ago. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> it really is. Um, but it's like, like. It is because I've seen people describe that like, oh, they they, they bought the the five digit 2008 version of the Submariner because they like the smaller case, not the maxi mm-hmm. case. But it's still almost, you know, it's it's still got a, a Swiss dot or a, a non tritium dial or this or that. So it's like you, it's like that kind of that weird hybridization of some of the good things you get out of a modern or new watch exactly. with some of the pieces that you get from. A, so you're right, they're they're funky. That's a. It's interesting that people are focusing on that now, though. I thought that was the hack yeah. that we all had. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, people are really looking for it now. I think also because, for example, like the the Aquanaut that I'm wearing is a lot cheaper than the current model Aquanaut. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's rarer. Um, it's harder to find. It looks cooler. It's a better size. Yeah, you get a better deal on it. It's Wait, I think the 5167 right now is selling for 40,000 US, probably a little more, maybe 45. And 
these, I mean, when I bought it, it was a lot less, but now I think the market value for a 5065 is around 38,000 US. So it's still a little bit cheaper, but it's harder to find. Yeah. No, it's about knowing, knowing kind of where the, I don't say like true value is, but I mean, it's trying to, you know, as a consumer, as somebody who's into it, who's, you know, buying more than just one watch, you're thinking, okay, where's, where's an area that I can and find something that is, is what I like meets my style meets what I would wear, but then also is relatively valuable from a, from a, a value proposition perspective. That's always a fun, fun rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. So real quick, what's the funniest street that you've walked down or stumbled across in, in Hong Kong since you've been there? I know you, you mentioned earlier that there's some, some funny, uh, lost in translation things, uh, there, but uh, I, I, I gotta ask, what's the funniest one that you've been down that you actually like saw the name and like chuckled to yourself? There's a lot of fucks. There's a lot of FKs. <laughs> so it's like fuck on lane. I think fuck on lane is one of the better ones. There's pound lane. I think there's like wang on. There's so many good ones. So most of them are sexual then. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what's funny. <laughs> yeah. God, that's that's hysterical. Um, so, I, with with all the stuff that just came out recently as well, I do have to ask. You know, what's what's on your what's on your horizon next? With all the stuff that you see that just came out at Watches and Wonders, what you see coming in and out of your inventory, where do you think you would what What do you think you would like to add to the collection next, Zoe? Ooh. I don't even know. I'm like too focused on my clients to focus on myself, to be honest. Um, but I think some of the hits from uh, Watches and Wonder... Actually, that's not true. Okay. So one of the new releases that I would like is the Palm Dial Datejust. Interesting. Judge me if you'd like. I think it's <laughs> like to travel to a tropical location with that watch, I think is so cool. It's what just different. Would you get? Uh, the I would okay. I would do a smooth bezel with a oyster bracelet because I already have a date just in thirty six millimeters with a jubilee and a fluted bezel. So okay. I'd want something a little bit different. And and that I think sense. also with the palm dial, it's a lot more casual, and the oyster and the smooth bezel just are a lot more sporty than the jubilee and the fluted bezel. So I would I say that. But I think the other hits, um, there's a vin- uh, sorry, a limited edition um, I'm blank- uh, Santos Dumont XL that Cartier came out with in a platinum version and then a two-tone, a stainless steel and a rose gold that I think no one is really talking about. And the two-tone stainless steel rose gold, it's a 500-piece limited edition. I think retail is like around 8,300 US. So I think the value is there. And it has a salmon dial, which I think is a killer. And then the platinum version is, I think, a 100-piece limited edition retails around 31,000. And it's an ice blue dial. So it's similar to like the Rolex ice blue platinum. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot cheaper. So I think those are, those are pieces that they're limited edition. I'm sure they'll, they'll sell pretty well, but no one's really talking about them. So I'm not even, I've not even heard about them. So I know this is all news to me. And you described two things that I was like, oh, I know what I'm Googling as soon as we're done with this podcast. They're I, I want to see that sample very dial. cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, uh, it's kind of like a sunburst dial. So it's not like a true salmon. It's a little pinkier, but you can totally tell people it's salmon and they're like, Oh yay, a salmon dial. <laughs> yeah. So salmon is like, now obviously the, the dial color that gets the uh, Zoolander so hot right now, is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I, I feel that salmon gets the honorable mess uh, mention on that because mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing a lot more releases uh, with, with salmon and it looks good. It looks great. Yeah. Well, Zoe, I, I know we've come up to to right around the hour mark. I just wanted to to thank you so much for um for joining us today. Um, it's a little bit later where you're at. It's a little bit earlier where we're at. I, I was I was thinking about that as we were. Is 
I almost wanted to message you saying, hey, I'm looking forward to chatting in a couple hours or in a few hours. I'm going to bed now. Uh, have a good day and we'll chat later. It's just it's weird. The whole exactly 12 hour disconnect is uh, is just kind of different. So uh, I live in the future. It's you very do. pretty cool. <laughs> so fun. You do. It is. Uh, it is neat. Uh, we uh, we did that with that. We, we, we uh, recorded with the folks from Defining Time who were in Australia and the, the timing that they chose uh, they got up earlier, but it was like noon their time. So it was like noon tomorrow when it was like right. 8 p.m. It was it was the weirdest thing. It was like their next day was almost half over and we hadn't even started it yet. Yeah, um, Australia was cool. much worse. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it was so cool of you to, 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 you know, join us on, I would say kind of fairly short notice. I mean, I know you and you and bro are kind of Instagram buddies and uh, he said, Hey, I think Zoe would be a great guest. And you're like, Hey, I'm free on Sunday. And it just all kind of worked out. So um, <laughs> we, we really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a great conversation. I learned quite a bit and I'm sure um, all of our listeners, all eight of them will have learned quite a bit as, as well. Um, you know, eventually we'll crack that double digit mark, but uh no, I, I joke, but it, it's been a great time uh, chatting with you and getting to know you better. And uh, I guess everybody who I'm shocked if they don't know you already, but they can find you at Watch Girl Off Duty on Instagram, correct? That's my Instagram handle. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us and uh, have a great uh, rest of your, well, I guess, have a great start to the work week here shortly. Yep. Monday is much closer than my Sunday now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. Thank, thank you, thank you guys. so much. I had so much fun. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Did too. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitswatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T.